Hello, I'm Derek Walker, pastor of the Oxford Bible Church, and we're doing a study all the way through the book of Revelation. And we've come to mid-tribulation, and we're going to study the beast today, um, uh, and or the Antichrist. Last time we saw that when the Antichrist sets up the abomination in God's temple, God responds by blowing the seventh trumpet which releases Michael and his angels to cast Satan and his angels out of the heavenlies down to the earth's surface. At the same time, believing Israel, the woman escapes to her place of safety in Jordan and the dragon, having failed to destroy her, turns his attention to destroying all the Jews and believers on the earth in order to establish his kingdom here. We read, and the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to war with the rest of her offspring to keep, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And his instrument for doing this is brought up and described in the next chapter, chapter 13. And it's the final manifestation of the beast. Um, and that's, as I say, described in Revelation 13. The beast is, is something that has been around all the time um, as Satan's instrument, but the final manifestation of the beast is Antichrist and his kingdom right there at the end. And that is described in Revelation 13. At this time, Satan gives the beast, the Antichrist, world power, which lasts for 1,260 days. Revelation uh, 13 describes how this will be accomplished during the first 30 days of the Great Tribulation. First, John is shown the political beast representing the succession of Gentile world empires that, that have dominated Israel and, as I said, of which Antichrist and his world empire is the final manifestation of that beast. Revelation 13. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, which are on the seventh head, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. The sea represents the Gentile nations. Revelation 17.15 says, The waters which you saw are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And so th this beast coming up out of the sea pictures the Gentile world powers that have dominated Israel throughout history. Its blasphemous name reveals its anti-God, um, ungodly nature. And its description of, uh, you know, the, the seven heads and the ten horns exactly mirrors the description of the red dragon, Satan, in chapter 12, verse 3. Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns. This is reinforced. This kind of correspondence between the dragon and this beast is reinforced by the fact that they are both red. Um, because the dragon is described as being red, and also this uh, beast is described as being red. In Revelation 17.3, which says, I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. So it's the same beast, but here we're told that it's scarlet, it's red. And so this beast is identified with the dragon and takes on and reflects its nature. And the redness, I believe, speaks of its violence and all the blood that it has shed. And so we have a beast that has seven heads. 
and uh, this is a, the political power, uh, but it is inspired and upheld by the dragon, which also uh, is described as a similar type beast. Well, Rev verse 2, it says, Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth was like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne and great authority. This explains the connection of this beast with the dragon by saying that the dragon gives it its, his authority and power. As with previous characters, before its activity at mid-tribulation is described, it's introduced by giving it its backstory, if you like. The seven heads which John sees are coming out of the sea, one head at a time, are seven world empires, the seven world empires that ruled over Israel. The beast also has elements of a lion, a bear, and a leopard. To understand the history of this beast, we have to go to Daniel 7, which gives the background to this, this description. Daniel 7 sees four beasts coming up from the sea. Four great beasts come up from the sea, each different from the other, and these represent four Gentile world empires. Those great beasts, which are four, are four kings or kingdoms that arise out of the earth. So the four kings are representatives of four kingdoms. The first was like a lion, which was Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. The second beast is like a bear, raised up on one side with three ribs in its mouth, which is told to devour much flesh. This represents Medo-Persia, which rose to dominance by conquering Babylon, Lydia, and Egypt. Those are the three ribs. It was lopsided because the Persians were stronger than the Medes in this partnership, and it went on to devour much territory, much more than Babylon. The third beast is compared to a speedy leopard with four wings and four heads, and dominion was given to it. This represents the next major empire, which was Greece under Alexander the Great, and after he died, his, his empire was divided into four kingdoms. The fourth beast, which interests us more, was different and more fearsome than the others, crushing all before it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceeding strong. It had huge iron teeth, it was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Its iron teeth and crushing activity identifies it with the fourth kingdom in the statue of Daniel 2, represented by the iron legs and feet. The interpretation is given... In verse 23, the fourth beast shall be like a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings who will arise from this kingdom. And so these ten horns are the same as the ten horns of the beast that we see in Revelation 3, 13 and 17. And... These ten horns represent ten kings that will reign at the same time as the Antichrist. This is the time when Antichrist rises to world dictatorship. We see this in the next part of the vision. He says, I was considering the ten horns, and there was another horn, a little one, that's the Antichrist, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes, like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. Verse 20 adds, the ten horns were on its head. Now that confirms that all ten horns are on one head. And that the appearance of the little horn was greater than his fellows. Verse 21 adds, the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. 
this little horn springing up, boasting great things, and pulling out three of the horns is the Antichrist. The interpretation in verse 24 says, And another shall rise after them, he shall be different from the first ones, and shall subdue three kings. He will speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. That's the that 1,260 days of his world dictatorship. He will rule as world dictator, persecuting the saints for three and a half years. Thus the fourth beast is the one with dominion in the tribulation, by which time it has formed into a confederation of ten kingdoms, until Antichrist takes it over at mid-tribulation by subduing the three kings that resist him. We also saw this in Daniel 11, verse 40 to 44, that describes him defeating enemies to the south, east and north those three kings, on his way to world power. And that happens at mid-tribulation. At this point, he assumes absolute power. The term beast, which represents the kingdom, is also used to describe its king, the Antichrist. For the two now are synonymous, because he is the kingdom. He exercises such total power now that you can't distinguish the beast is the Antichrist and his kingdom. Then... In Daniel's vision, he sees the final destruction of this beast. First we see the heavenly court in session to determine his judgment, and then the sentence is carried out. I watched because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and giving, given to the burning flame, the lake of fire. And this is fulfilled when the Antichrist is killed by Christ at his return and then raised and cast into the lake of fire. Verse 12 contrasts the destruction of this fourth beast, the Antichrist and his empire, with that of the previous beasts who lost their dominion. It says, as for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. You see, although they lost their dominion, like Babylon and so on, they had an extension of life for a time. So the Babylon, Persia and Greek empires, they continued to live on because they influenced the empires that came after them. But this fourth beast is the final beast empire before Christ establishes his kingdom. So when it's destroyed, its life will not be prolonged through the other beasts that would come after it. Its destruction marks the final end of all the beasts. The vision then describes the basis of the messianic kingdom which Christ will establish at his second coming. It says, Behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, the Father, and they brought him near before him. And then to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed. And this was fulfilled by Jesus when he ascended to the Father after his resurrection. You see, as the Son of Man, that means he was born as a man. He lived 33 and a half years on earth. He died. He rose again, having accomplished his mission of redeeming the earth and his people. He then comes before God's throne and receives all authority in heaven and earth. He has already, you see, received the authority and dominion to rule over a kingdom that will be universal and everlasting. It, not just for a thousand years, but it continues into the eternal state. And so Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God, the Father, until it's time for him to establish this kingdom on earth, until it's time for him to return and put all his enemies underfoot. 
This interpretation, you see, the interpretation that's given in Daniel, confirms that after these four beast kingdoms have run their course, these beast kingdoms which arise out of the earth, there'll be another kingdom that will come from heaven. And remember, Jesus said, his kingdom is not of this world. In other words, it doesn't come from this world, it comes from above. He didn't say it would not be in this world, because his, it will come from above into this world. And, uh, and so the kingdom of Jesus comes from above. And then it says that the saints will possess this kingdom because we will rule and reign with Christ. And this kingdom will last forever. And this confirms, of course, that when the fourth beast is destroyed, that is the end of all the beasts of the earth because the kingdom of God will take their place and last forever. Now, verse 21 confirms that the beast will prevail against the saints until... God c comes to sit in the heavenly court and pronounce judgment against the beast and in favor of the saints, decreeing that it's now time for the saints to possess the kingdom, to reign on earth with Christ. The interpretation concludes by saying, but the court shall be seated and they will take away the beast's dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High, and his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Praise God. Thus Daniel's vision says that at the end of Antichrist's allotted three and a half year reign, Christ will take the authority take his authority and destroy Antichrist and his kingdom and throw him in the lake of fire and then he will establish his kingdom on the earth which is an everlasting kingdom and which will be possessed by his saints. Now the seventh head of Revelation 13 is what we really want to look at. It's this, a beast with seven heads but the seventh head is the crucial one for the Antichrist's kingdom, the final head. So now we are actually in a better position to understand the beast in Revelation 13 and 17. It has seven heads, and John sees one head at a time coming out of the sea. These seven heads must be the seven Gentile world powers that have dominated Israel. So number one, Egypt. Two, Assyria. And those were before Daniel's time. Then Babylon, the lion. Then Medo-Persia, the bear. Then Greece, the leopard. Then Rome. And seventh, the seventh head is the final beast empire ruled over by the Antichrist. This is the head that has ten horns on it, according to Daniel 7 and Revelation 17. Revelation 13.2 confirms that this great beast includes the leopard, the Greece, the bear, Persia, and the lion, Babylon. Whereas Daniel saw them as separate beasts, John saw the bigger picture that they are really se separate heads successive manifestations of the one of one great mega beast <laughs> so as in daniel 7 revelation 13 focuses mostly on that final head of the beast antichrist kingdom and of course it's great interest for us to identify this beast and see if we can discern its emerging presence in the current political scene the classic prophetic view is that this seventh empire is a revived Roman Empire coming out of a European superstate. And so the development of the EU has been of great interest, especially if it expands to the East. In the Daniel 2 vision of the metallic statue, the two legs of iron represent the west and east halves of the historic Roman Empire, and the feet of iron and clay represent revived Rome in the end times. 
the ten toes represent this final form of this, which that ten-nation confederacy, corresponding to the ten horns from which Antichrist arises. But also recently an Islamic view has emerged of the Islamic Antichrist idea. And that's stimulated by the rise of Islam in, the, in these times. And this view says that the seventh head and the fourth beast of Daniel 7 is the Islamic Caliphate, which began in 632 AD, shortly after the death of Muhammad. Uh, and it culminated in the Ottoman Empire, which officially ended in 1924. The two legs of iron, then, would be the two main divisions of Islam, the Sunnis and the Shiites. And this view predicts that there will be a revived Islamic caliphate in the end times, based around a confederation of ten kingdoms surrounding Israel. Um, and these would be the ten horns, you see, and the ten toes. And this points to an Islamic antichrist, or Mahdi, who rises up and takes control of this empire. Interestingly, and, and so... Which is it? We, I, I, can't, I don't want to actually say. We, it, time will tell. But it's interesting that there, these two views correspond to there are two main manifestations of the spirit of Antichrist in the world today. And both want to take over the world. The first is secular humanism, the philosophy that governs the EU. And that denies both God and Christ, wants to remove them from the public sphere. The second is Islam which denies that Christ is the Son of God who died for our sins and rose again. And so, looking at present world conditions, it seems that the final beast will either emerge from a secular, revived Roman Empire in the West, or an Islamic caliphate in the Middle East. And there are good arguments on both sides of this issue, and we probably have to see how end-time events unfold before we can be absolutely sure which it is. Or maybe there'll be some kind of combination of these two views, and therefore, if Islamic Turkey joined the EU, that would be very significant. Remember that great political changes can happen very quickly through wars and uprisings, and most of all, when the greatest event of history until this point takes place, which is the sudden disappearance of millions, if not billions, of believers in the rapture, uh, that will be such a huge event that that will cause enormous upheavals that will change the situation politically very quickly. And so we must never underestimate the effect of the rapture in triggering these end-time events. And so there are limits to how much we can know about the exact form of this final head. Now in Revelation 13, 3, he sees the seventh head receiving a fatal blow and being healed. And I saw one of his heads, as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. There are actually five scriptures that speak about the, de the, the beast's death and resurrection. There's two possibilities. Because the beast, the head, can refer to both the king or the kingdom, or mountain. So it's either the king or his kingdom. And the mountain represents the kingdom. Um, and so it can represent and be speaking of either the Antichrist or his empire. And the language of these prophecies could be applied to either of those. So generally we see kings represent kingdoms, especially the founding king of an empire like Nebuchadnezzar actually represented the whole kingdom. He was called 
the head of gold, which actually refers to Babylon. So the king and the kingdom are identified. Uh, Cyrus for Persia, Alexander for Greece. And so the language of these death and resurrection prophecies, however, is first of all more literally applicable to a man. But it could also speak of an empire dying and rising again, having been cut down. I conclude that the primary application is that it's speaking of the Antichrist, that he'll have a death and resurrection, but that his experience as the final head of his kingdom is a symbol or picture of a parallel death and resurrection of his empire. And it makes sense that the experience of the final representative head of an empire mirrors the experience of the empire itself. Like Jesus, the king of Israel, mirrored the experience of Israel because he was cut off and then resurrected after two days. And that's parallel to Israel being cut off and resurrected after two days. That is 2,000 years. And that Hosea 6 talks about that. Therefore, as well as speaking of Antichrist death and resurrection, this also speaks of his empire receiving a death blow but being revived again. Now, in the classic Roman view, this is the sixth head. The Roman Empire is the sixth head, uh, and this empire receives a mortal wound but comes back as the seventh head, which is the revived Roman Empire. Um, in the Islamic view, the seventh head uh, is the Islamic Caliphate and that was terminated in 1924 but now it says it will be revived again and so the seventh head will come back to life just before the tribulation and so Revelation 13 says the resurrection of the beast Antichrist and his empire amazes the world causing many to follow him at this time he's possessed by Satan and he receives his authority to rule the world giving him great success in warfare and supernatural power to do miracles. We read, so they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast and they worship the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? You see, by worshipping, submitting to the beast who is inspired and empowered by the devil, that means they are actually bowing to Satan and worshipping him because the beast, the Antichrist, is the visible representative and expression and manifestation on earth of that spiritual power, the devil. And his speech is also satanically inspired to cause people to follow him. It says he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. So these events at mid-tribulation propel the Antichrist to become the main ruler in the world for three and a half years until Jesus returns, during which he blasphemes and boasts against the true God. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle and those who dwell in heaven, those who have been raptured. He also instigates a massive persecution of the saints who refuse to submit to him. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Satan gives him authority over the whole world, and authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so this confirms that although Jesus defeated Satan on the cross and has all authority, he has not yet removed Satan from his position of God of this world, which was handed him by Adam. He will only do this at mid-tribulation and, and the second coming. So attempts by dominionists to displace Satan uh, by spiritual warfare, for instance, from his place of rulership over the world system are misguided and potentially dangerous. 
Antichrist not only claims political power, but also the worship of all the unsaved earth dwellers, those whose names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the Book of Life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. So only the saved will refuse to worship him. Comparing with Revelation 17.8 shows that the translation of this verse should be, whose names have not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. You see, God foreknew, he chose us in Christ from before the foundation of the world. And later in this series, we'll discuss this book of life when we come to Revelation 20, when the Lord opens it at the final judgment there. Anyone who possesses eternal life has it only because they've received salvation through the blood of the Lamb and have become children of God. And on that basis, their names were written with his blood in God's family album. Those whose names are not found in the book are doomed to the second death of the lake of fire because the only payment and antidote to sin is the blood of Christ. So you better make sure that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. That's why the, the next verse says, If anyone has an ear, let him hear God's word. Although this will be the worst ever time of history where evil seems to triumph, God calls his people the saints, to be patient and faithful under suffering, reminding them that it will only last for a relatively short time and that soon God will have the last word and turn, his table, turn the tables on his enemies. It says, he who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. He, here is the patience and faith of the saints. You see, God will judge those who side with his enemy and persecute his saints. Those who take the saints captive will soon be taken into everlasting captivity in hell. And those who kill the saints will be killed by the sword coming out of Jesus' mouth at his return and experience eternal death. So they are to be patient until the time of the tribulation is over and then they will enter into eternal blessing. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you're my disciples indeed, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And on our website, oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk, you, you can find the, a way you can help us financially, and we would be so grateful. If you want to know more about end-time prophecy and the book of Revelation, can I recommend my big reference book called The uh, Panorama of Prophecy? It's over 600 pages, and we've produced it in a large size version, which makes it more enjoyable to read with a bigger print. And uh, it's available uh, for £40, and uh, this will be a book to, to have for a lifetime. Of course, if you want to pay a little less, uh, you can buy the, uh, the book in half this size, in the A5 version, and that, and that will be, I think, £15. So again... Take the word of God into you, study it in depth, and this will be a good place to really get the whole revelation of Bible prophecy. You can watch more of our teachings on our Oxford Bible Church Roku channel and Derek Walker YouTube channel. You're most welcome to join us at our church services, which are every Sunday at 11am and 6pm at Cheney School, Headington, Oxford, OX3 7QH. You can order CDs, DVDs, books and other great products from our online shop at www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk or by calling 01865 515 086.